year. I mean, I'm a Big Ten football guy. You know, I'm a longtime Iowa Hawkeye fan. But who would have thought that Northwestern and Indiana would be in first place? <laughs> I mean, that's how odd this year is. So as we take a look at this year as it comes to an end, next Sunday is our last Sunday of the year. No, it's not the end of December. The last Sunday of our church calendar year. Um, Advent begins our new year in the church, and so next Sunday is Christ the King Sunday, our last Sunday of the year. Um, and so these scripture texts that we are looking at are leading us up to that, that, uh, that moment, that um, almost catastrophic and amazing moment that Christ comes to bring all things to him. And so the, the reading this morning comes from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began immediately to invest the money, and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work quickly and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, let me say that again, after a long time, their master returned from the trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops where you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money so I hid it in the ground. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I had harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten bags of silver. 
And those who use well what they are given, even more will be given to them, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw the useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of our Lord. So my first question is who wants to be a millionaire? Are your hands going up in the air yet? Well, Jesus is teaching his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this is one of the stories that he uses. Last week we took a look at the ten bridesmaids. This week it's the, the story of the servants. And they're um, entrusted with the master's money. So the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, which is promised to us on earth as well as in heaven, not just in heaven. You see, the kingdom of heaven is not just this, this big prize we get at the end. The kingdom of heaven is coming here on earth now, today, for you and for me. And so the master says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is going on a long trip or a long journey. It's a long time. How long will he be gone on this trip? We don't know. We just know that it's going to be for a long time. That's how Jesus begins the story in verse 14. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. A long ways away. Patty was reminding me yesterday she said, do you remember back in June when we were thinking, well, maybe by fall the virus would be gone. <laughs> maybe by Thanksgiving or by Christmas we'd be able to return back to some sense of normalcy. And lo and behold, we are normal. We are in a new normal, right? It is not any different. If anything, it is getting worse around the country. And so as we confront this challenging time, we might be asking that very question. How long, O oh Lord, how long? We had an election a couple of weeks ago. We're still waiting to hear. How long, O oh Lord, how long? It is a reminder to me of the prophet Habakkuk. It depends, I guess, how you pronounce his name, depending on where you're from. If you have the royal English within you, you might call him Habakkuk. But we, you know, Americans, we kind of we kind of crush every English word, right? And so we just call him Habakkuk. But you can call him either one. Habakkuk, Habakkuk. But he was a famous minor prophet. He's not one of the major prophets. He's one of the minors. He's one of the 12. And he was living around the time when uh, Judah was still in existence, but barely. The Assyrians had taken control of the northern kingdom and uh, had pretty much demolished a lot of the land around Judah. And now the Babylonians had crushed the, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians were encroaching upon Judah. Matter of fact, during this hundred years, from uh, six, uh, around 685 to 585, when uh, this would be B.C., uh, during that 100-year period of time before 
and up to the time of destruction of the land of Judah, Habakkuk was preaching and teaching uh, sometime during this time, um, three times during this period of 100 years, three times the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonians. And the last time, 587 B.C. to 585 B.C., in that period of time is when the city was completely destroyed. There was nothing left. The city was a bunch of rubble and burned out buildings. So Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord. He sees the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah in great turmoil. They're surrounded by this horrific Babylonian empire who is attacking not only Judah, but the beloved city of Jerusalem. Yet the city is in conflict with itself. The city's not just battling this battle from outside. The city is battling a battle from within, Habakkuk says. They are arguing and they are fighting with each other. There is no justice. Let me read what the prophet says as he begins his oracle of lament and response from God. This is his lament, his cry, in chapter 1. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. He's saying to the Lord, I'm crying for help, but you're not listening. Then he says, violence is everywhere, not just from outside, but from within. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. That's his cry, his lament to God. I'm so thankful that was 2,500 years ago and not today. You can take a moment to chuckle if you want. Some of you are wondering, how long must we endure this political climate? Now, as I mentioned in my e-weekly, this is my last sermon on this particular series. God told me to preach on it, but he didn't tell me to preach on it forever. I need a break, and I don't know about you, but you may need a break too. Some are worried about the virus. How long must we live with this threat of sickness and death? How long will our first responders be on the front lines offering their lives for ours? How long will we see this economy impacted? How long will we see unemployment lines? How long will we see people lining up for food baskets? How long, O oh Lord? How much more longer must we wait? How much more longer must we suffer? How much longer must we live with no answers? The kingdom of 
heaven is like a man going on a long journey, Jesus says, who entrusts his money with his servants. So he's not just going on a long journey, but there is a purpose or there is an intent in his journey. In his journey, he is now taking his wealth, taking his money, his property, and he's handing it over to his servants and telling them to invest it. One received five talents, another received two talents, and still another one talent. First of all, what kind of trust is this? A bag of silver is how our NLT uh, translation translates it. But that's more of a pictorial, or like a picture of, of what's really intended. What is given to these servants are five talents, three talents, or uh, excuse me, two talents and one talent. So what is a talent? A talent was equivalent to about 10,000 denarii. That's a lot of denarii. It was assumed that one denarii was what a person needed to live on each day. So that would be one day's wages, a denarii. Well, actually, a denarius would be the, the singular. A denarius would be one day's wages, and that's what you would need to live on. So for your food, your clothing, your shelter, a person would need to live on at least a denarius a day. So a talent is worth 10,000 denarii. What does that mean? That means that um, if you took our minimum wage, $12.50 or whatever it is, um, here in the state of Arizona, if you took the minimum wage and you factor that out to a week of 40 hours a week, that would come out to about $100. And so using the most minimal amount of money that a person can live on in terms of daily life here, um, that's kind of why we call it the minimum wage. It's the, the least amount that somebody could receive and still survive on. So the minimum wage today would be about $100 a week. So that's uh, roughly about, um, when I, I'm not a mathematician, but when I calculated it, it came to about a million dollars. So one talent is equivalent to a million dollars. So who wants to be a millionaire, Jesus is saying. One is getting $5 million, one is getting $2 million, and the third one is getting $1 million. So God might be asking you, do you want to be a millionaire? What Jesus is saying is that God has got talents for you. He has ha God has gifts for you that he wants you to receive and to use on behalf of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. God is asking us, do we want to be millionaires? I mean, this story is first and foremost, I think, a story about God's generosity. We have a very generous God. God not only gives us the gift of his son, Jesus, but he gifts us with spiritual gifts and with talents 
The gift is a trust. Everything you have, talents, gifts, blessings, all of these things belong to God. They're not things that you can take with you. And so God gifts us these things and says, use them like he did his servants when he went on the long journey, the long trip. God entrusts them to us, to you. This is a generous God. This is a God who gives you everything you have. The story is not only a story about God's generosity, but it's also a story of God's grace. God is generous to all of God's people, the good and the bad, and that is grace. In Matthew 13, if you remember when we studied the, the stories about the farmer planting the seeds, sowing the seeds, he sowed the seeds on all of his field. Even though some of the field was rocky, some of the field was thorny, filled with weeds and thistles, some, some of the field was fertile. It didn't make any difference to the farmer. He planted the seed everywhere. He sowed the seed throughout his field. And that's not only a generous God, but that is a gracious God. God would give these gifts to everyone, the good and the bad alike. Some of the land, as I said, was rich and fertile, and some of it was not. But that didn't stop the farmer from sowing his seed. Remember, God's gift of grace is that God richly gives at Christ's expense. And so when we think about this gift of grace, God didn't pick and choose who gets his talents. He just gave them to everyone. He didn't say, hmm, you've been doing all right, so I'm going to give you some talent, but I don't like you, so I'm not giving you any talent. That's not how God operates. God says, you get talent, you get talent, you get talent, you get talent. You all get talent. God is generous because God gives in a way that you and I cannot give. We would not give in that way. We want to see people earn it. But God is different. God gives it even when we don't deserve it. God is generous in that way because God is a graceful God. These three servants are given millions of dollars to invest. And it wasn't their money, remember? It was a gift. They didn't earn this money. They did nothing to deserve this money. God gave them this money. The man in the story who's gone on a long journey entrusts it to them. And he says to them, use it. So now the question is, what do you do with the talents that God gives you? Well, as they wait for this gracious, generous man to return, these three servants invest their monies in ways that they see fit. The one with five talents 
it says, immediately went out and invested his money, and he made a 100% profit. So his $5 million now becomes $10 million. The man with two talents, the one that had a, 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 an amount of $2 million, he goes out and quickly invests his money, and he gets a, a doubling of his return. And so he now has not $2 million, but he has $4 million. So this, this man's wealth has gone from the two being $7 million to $14 million. Meanwhile, the third man, with only one talent, $1 million, he doesn't invest his. Did you hear that? He doesn't invest his. He buries it. Wow. Let's take a look at these first two investments. They both doubled their investments. Have you ever heard of the rule of 72? The rule of 72 is this mathematical formula that tells us that you can figure out how long it would take you to double your investment by figuring out the percentage of, um, of profit that, that you can make. So let's say that, that uh, we'll use the million dollars. Let's say you have a million dollars. So how long will it take you to, to, uh, to double that million dollars? So let's say that you're a really, really conservative person and that you don't trust the stock markets, you don't trust Bitcoin, you don't want any of that. So you go to the bank, and the bank says, because that's what the, the man asked the one who served with one talent. He said, why didn't you at least invest it in the bank so I could get some interest? So the bank, let's, let's say, and this is probably generous, but let's say that you got one-tenth of one percent back on your investment in the bank. Do you know how long it would take to double your money? It would take 720 years. That's by investing it in the bank. So the next question then comes, how long would it take if you invested your money in, um, in a mutual fund that receives 6% interest? Well, you take your 6%, divide that to 70, into 72, and what do you get? You get the number 12, so it's going to take you 12 years to double your investment. So now we have a better picture of how long this man was gone. When we think about that length of time, we can think about how we invest. If you wanted to invest conservatively at 3%, then the man would have returned in 24 years. If you were a little more aggressive and you wanted to invest at 8% interest, then the man would return in nine years. No matter what, we're looking at nine years, 24 years, 720 years. It was a long time before the man returned to meet with the three servants. The question that Jesus poses as we wait for this long time, as we suffer during this long time, as we cry out to God and lament during this long time, the question that Jesus poses is this. How will you spend the talents and the gifts 
that God has given you? How will you invest what God has given you? When we think about that question, I am reminded of how we are confronted today with questions. Questions about our health. Questions about our economy, about our jobs, our democracy. What will you do that will bring a return on your investment for the one who has graciously given you this gifts, these gifts during this long-suffering time? Will you bury your talent, your gifts, so that it returns nothing? Remember Jesus' response? wasn't that he was just a wicked or evil man, he was lazy. The third man didn't invest his talent. It says because he was afraid, so he hid his talent. Let's look at 20, verses 24 and 25. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate, I was afraid. He's afraid of the master. I was afraid I would lose your money and, in a sense, incur your wrath. And so instead of investing it, I hid it in the earth. And look, here is your money back. Here is your money back. Some people say that you shouldn't fear the virus. And that may be true. We should have a healthy respect for the virus. But I don't think this story is about fearing things, things that could confront us. I think what this story gets at is something much deeper. I think what God is saying to us is that when you begin to fear things like economy and taxes and and viruses, and when you begin to fear these things, you're fearing losing control over your own life. And you're afraid, ultimately, not of the things, but of God. And so what kind of picture do you have of God, Jesus is saying? Do you think I'm a vengeful, raging maniac? that's out to destroy you? Or am I that generous, grace-filled God that I've tried to demonstrate to you? That's the question that Jesus is asking us. The fear that we experience, the fear that the one-talent man experienced is nothing other than fear of the one who gave him the talent. The only one he is afraid of is God, who is so generous, but he can't see it through his fear. That reminds me of our first story of sin. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her so she took some of the fruit and ate it then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too 
At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig trees, fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. You see, we spend our lives hiding from the God who loves us. We spend our lives trying to run from the one who has come to show us his generous love. We, we hide from the one that offers us grace because we think we have to earn it. Or at least everyone else should have to earn it. And we're not so crazy about a God who will bless people that we don't like. This is not about being afraid of the virus or the economy. This is about being afraid of God. Fearful of what Jesus might actually do to this world as God's kingdom breaks into our kingdoms. God is generous, and yet we run and hide. Why would God want to make us millionaires? Or even more, why would God want to make those people millionaires? Certainly God could not mean it. There's a trick here somewhere, right? He really must be mean and judgmental like me, right? I mean, that's how I operate. Isn't that how God should operate? No. Jesus tells us that God is generous, that God is gracious and giving, and he has given to you your talents, your gifts, your blessings, your life, so while we wait for Jesus' return, the question that Jesus is asking us here is how will we invest our time and our talents for God? You may not realize it, but you are worth millions to God. So what's your next move? What's your next move on this wild and remarkable adventure that we call Earth? Amen.